This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to the next in the video series for my top 50 games of all time. I'm just going to jump right in. I'll have links to the playlist and all the other pertinent videos below in the description. So let's go ahead and just jump right into number 20. Number 20 is Caverna the Cave Farmers. Now this is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. Absolutely love the game. Uh, I, we've been talking about player count on a lot of these. I have not played it with seven. <laughs> I do not think I ever want to play it with seven, but I think I've played it with four or five. I don't quite remember, but I enjoy it at all those player counts up to that point. I will say the solo mode does not really do it for me. Uh, when we talk about the alternative game to this, I'll mention that, but, uh, the solo mode is okay. It's, it's not like terribly unfun to play. It's just not very satisfying, um, to play. Uh, what's been said about this game that hasn't already been said you know it's basically Agricola which spoiler is the alternative uh, but without the cards but with like tons more different buildings and stuff and the thing that really just pulls me back into this game all the time is just the sheer amount of buildings and the different strategies you can go for and the like the level of like playfulness that is in the game design so i can just you know brew beer this time or i can be focused on questing with my dwarves or i can be focused on you know the animal raising or the farming and that kind of stuff and so you can really uh i think more so than agricola and more so than a lot of games frankly you can kind of pick and choose your strategy and sort of you know give your little village your farm your dwarf cave an identity and you kind of can sort of become known for like a certain type of thing and that's not to say you ignore all the other different parts of the game, but more than I think, especially, you know, mentioning Agricola, you can really specialize in a way that feels a little bit more fun, a little bit more free form, because you can just say at the beginning of the game, uh, I want to go try to build these buildings and just kind of go after this kind of strategy and go after this kind of thing. And just, it, you, it's still pretty tight of a game, but you can still be, like I said, playful about it, kind of do whatever you want to feel like doing uh, that game and just really try things out. And I really, really uh, like that. Now, I have the first expansion. I still have not played it. I've had that thing for about a year and just have not had a chance to try to play it. From everything that I've heard, though, it just makes the game even better with all these different asymmetric factions. So I really want to try it. Um, I have not heard a bad thing about it. The second expansion, which just came out, I've heard nothing but bad things. <laughs> so I have no desire to try that. Um, but I recommend Caverna just to, just about everybody because I have played this with the family. I have played it with the game group. You can sort of play a more basic mode with the family with like basically you cut the number of buildings available in half. And it's a lot more accessible than playing Agricola with the cards, although you can play like the family mode of Agricola. But I like that for me, if you're going to talk about like the family mode version, this one just takes the cake over the Agricola one. Um, just because there's still like lots of cool stuff to do and it's a little bit more exploratory and playful and all those kind of fun things. Um, so that's that one. And then I, as I said, the alternative is Agricola. Now Agricola, I prefer vastly solo over Caverna. It's got this cool little campaign mode in Agricola that you can play solo where you basically try to beat 10 games and the games get increasingly harder and harder. But because Agricola has those hands of cards that you can use, you get to uh, keep some you know, for future games and that kind of thing. So even though the game target score gets higher and higher and higher, it gives you sort of a little starting bonus and a leg up, and that makes it interesting. Uh, the one sort of problem that both games have, Caverna and Agricola, is you know, the action spaces are randomized and set up, but it becomes really scripted uh, in terms of like how to kind of do it solo. So it's, it's, it's almost like too much of a simplified puzzle to solve to be really fun solo. But Agricola has the added advantage of having those cards and getting that sort of under the covers of your strategy. And once you kind of get rolling with that though, it does get pretty scripted even with the cards. Um, but it's still a lot of fun to kind of get that engine set up and just kind of run it through and be like, oh, okay, so I can win this every time just about. 
Um, because once you kind of steep yourself into that, and I played through the campaign again in Agricola uh, during lockdown and own stuff, and it was just a fun process to kind of get through. And so one that I think you could kind of do like once a year or every couple of years, <laughs> come back and do it, like forget all the stuff, and then you can kind of come back to it and, and play it. But they're really, really just whimsically fun worker placement games that have an edge to them, uh, but it's just kind of a perfect mixture of a lot of a lot of things that I like in Euro games, uh, these two games, but I prefer Caverna. So that's number twenty. Uh, number nineteen is Airlines Europe. This is my favorite Alan Moon design. Uh, I've had this one for years. Um, it is just it continues to receive play, mostly with the family. Although we do break it out once in a great while uh, with the game group. It's just to me like. It's probably a little bit too much going on to like throw it on like the shelves at Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble and stuff and expect, you know, the masses to to really pick it up and play it. But to me it's like right on that edge of a game that just about anybody should be able to pick up. And it has tons of strategy. There's tons of layers here in terms of uh, you know, you're building up these different airlines and collecting sets kinda like you are in the alternative game that I'll mention. I won't spoil it yet this time. And, you know, you, it's one of these games that introduces players to, like, a lot of concepts that you see in games, like stock ownership, you know, route building, uh, set collection, that kind of thing, a little bit of the economic side, the money management, um, the different kind of scoring rounds that will happen over the course of the game. And it just has a lot of really good, sharp elements that make for, uh, you know, almost infinite replayability in some ways. Although I think you could probably burn out on it if you didn't put it away often enough. Um, but it's easy enough that you can really teach it to just about anybody. Um, as long as the teacher's decent, I think anybody can play it. I don't know that a random you know, family or something that picked it up off the shelves that didn't have sort of a gamer sort of coaching them on their first game could pick it up easy. But, you know, you never know. I think there's plenty of smart people on Earth that could pick it up and they could do just fine with it. But this is right there at that sort of gateway type of level that just about anybody pick it up and it still has like all of this cool strategy and stuff going on that you know it's still been in my collection it's been in my collection for like 10 10 plus years now and i'm still excited to break it out and play it all the time all the time it's just a really great game i think it does go in and out of print so it can be hard to find uh, depending on you know what time of year it is so the alternative is another alan moon design which i wanted to give you know, credit to. And it's obviously Ticket to Ride. My version is Ticket to Ride Europe that I prefer. I, the first time I played the basic Ticket to Ride, you know, decades ago at this point almost, I did not like it at all. Um, my friends had picked it up because it was kind of like the new hotness back when it came out. And man, I did not like that game. It was just, when we played it, I think with five players or whatever, I think five is the max. And it was just too much like, out of my control i was trying you know i was in my mind at that time i was like a very strategic gamer i was into k-lists and stuff like that around then power grid and things like that um and this was just like a big turnoff to me because it was just you could see some strategy there but there's just so much luck involved and there was just so much like cutting off and so much stuff happening out of your control um and then you know you don't know which routes to pick and all that kind of stuff the first time you play it um uh, but over the years, I've had a chance to play it here and there and then picked up Ticket to Ride Europe because it has this whole concept of the station ID, which which gives you sort of a little bit of an out, but it's limited. You know, it's not like the shackles are completely off. You still got to spend your cards and all that stuff. And it's got like the different types of uh, routes, like you've got the little canals and stuff like that, the boat systems and all that. So there's some variability there. And, you know, we, we had picked up some of the different maps and stuff. Africa, India was a lot of fun to play, the Switzerland map. Uh, my wife and I used to play it all the time. Two-player, we had a lot of fun doing that. And I would really rec I could not recommend Ticket to Ride Europe enough. Uh, that is definitely one that I think uh, anybody could pick it up. And it has that little extra wrinkles and stuff that I spice it up over Ticket to Ride. Even basic Ticket to Ride, now that I've gone back and sort of readjusted my attitude towards it, I still don't really get excited to play that whatsoever it just you know there's there's too many other kind of games that are just do things just slightly better i mean fast sloths uh the uh freeman freeze design which is sort of ticket to ridey actually and could be just as cutthroat and brutal as like if you have a five you know 
season ticket ride players sitting around the table, five seasons of fast loss players sitting around the table to me is even more exciting and, and fun and, and, and just crazy why you can screw people over in that. Um, but yeah, so that's number 19 airlines Europe with the alternative there ticket to ride Europe. Let's see. Uh, number 18 is Ankh gods of Egypt. This is a newer game. that came out a couple years ago. Eric Lang design from cool Media or not. Uh, this is to me is a controversial game to a certain degree. Controversial seems a little bit more elevated than I should use for a word for that, but it's an area control, you know, dudes on a map, somewhat war game. The thing that makes this special is the thing that makes it, I think, divisive is when you play along, you play through the rounds and you've got, let's say three, four, five players at the table, the two players in last place will fuse and merge and become one team and then they have to win and so they're already in last place but now they get to combine and their powers and become one player and then they can theoretically win together if they can you know pass the other players up uh, by the end of the game and that to me is such an awesome dynamic um i live for that dynamic i love that dynamic in a game and it just is the funnest thing ever and it's you know I love that. I just love that. I don't know. I I can, I can sort of understand why people would have an issue with that, but I just don't. Like, I mean, that's the thing that just wakes me up thinking about that aspect of the game and how fun that can be and how much of an underdog those people, those two players can be. And, but how they can sort of, you know, if they do it right, they can put their strategy together and come out on top at the end. Um, so I just can't recommend it enough. Now, the alternative to this is Blood Rage, which is one of the other games in this sort of trilogy of games from Eric Lang and Cool Meteor Not, where you had Blood Rage and Rising Sun and then Onk. And I really like all three of those games. Um, but to me, Onk just does it so differently. It's so smooth and easy. This is one that you could totally just teach to about anybody because the way that you do the actions and the way the actions sort of that order of operations becomes very key and there's just enough sort of going on that this pulls the threads in all the right directions that there's not really hidden information but there's enough sort of just and it's not a lot of layers but there's enough couple of little layers of obfuscation about what people could be after that it keeps it interesting uh, now talking about player count i think probably a full full table is the best here um, although I've played it um, and enjoyed it, you know, with two players even. And that, that is one of the things that I would I give it a nod to, whereas the others in the trilogy, uh, Blood Rage is actually okay at two players. Rising Sun doesn't even play two players. The thing about Blood Rage, uh, the alternative, is that the card drafting sort of helps the two-player game a little bit. But the Ankh um, two-player game is really cool like it actually works extremely well now i prefer the full table because then you get the whole trader merger not trader merger mechanic which i live for but i would sit down and play this onk two players anytime it's it's cool because it's very chess like but there's enough going on like i said in those layers of the obfuscation of you know what's happening that it keeps it interesting it's not it doesn't dry it out at all at two player which could be the danger um, and now the alternative, like I said, Blood Rage, I think Blood Rage is probably the most popular out of, out of the trilogy, I think by far. And that one's cool because it has the card drafting with the area control. So it's more like the kind of the granddaddy of area control games, which would be El Grande, which is kind of a pseudo card drafting thing. But um, there was an old game called Midgard, which had the same thing designed by Eric Lang. It was, it was a Viking themed uh, card drafting thing with area control. And then Blood Rage sort of the progenitor of that. And Blood Rage just kind of turns the turns up to eleven, and I still would love to play um, Blood Rage just about any time as well. And I still have Blood Rage on you know, my collection. So, but man, I I I think you got to go in with the right attitude about Ankh, and I think you're gonna have a blast. Like, I mean, there's been games of Ankh I've played where I'm like, I'm gonna try to slow boat it a little bit so I can be in second to last or last place. You know, stay close enough that, you know, I'm still, we don't, like, whoever I merge with isn't, like, way behind. 
but stay close enough where it's like, okay, yeah, now I've formed and I've formed an alliance and all your little dumb religions are going to disappear from this planet. And we've formed these two things. And now this, the combined powers of these two gods is going to just, you know, wipe everybody else out. I just, I just love that. Um, and the thing, I gave a little wrinkle there on the religion part. That the, the wrinkle of that is actually kind of an interesting thing because of all, a lot of the religions that nobody even talks about these days that are long gone from the earth. Um, it does give you that kind of vibe of those like ideas like floating around and then disappearing into the ether of the universe, never to be spoke about again. I like that idea too. That's cool. Uh, anyway, so that's number 18, Ankh. Uh, number 17 is uh, another new game, Great Western Trail Argentina. Uh, I just reviewed that a couple of weeks ago on the channel, and you know I thought twice about putting it down here, but I was like, whatever. <laughs> you know, like I said at the end of that review, just shut the hobby down, to my opinion. And I'm actually surprised it's not even higher on this list. I think the the newness is actually hurting it. So as I play this over the years, this one I think, you know, we'll see. But I think it could climb up the list because it takes everything I enjoyed about the original Great Western Trail and just turns each little part of it. I talked about turning it up to 11 with Blood Rage and Midgard. But to me, Great Western Trail is like, oh, I see this little part, the deck building part. Ooh, I'm going to tweak that, turn that up a little bit. I'm going to do the whole like shipping and delivery part when you get around to uh, Kansas City in the original game or um, Rio in this game. Uh, uh, not Rio. What's the town? Oh, I can't remember the name of the town you deliver in Argentina. Um, whatever the name of the town is, you turn that, that whole delivery part up, um, the whole like uh, train part of it, how that integrates completely differently in Argentina than it does from the original. That works really well, and it just every little thing they just went and just said, all of this is is better now, and shoo, I love it. I love this game. I you know I can't you know say much more about it. The player count part, I would say I like the solo game. It's not my favorite player count, but I think it. If I want a fix of playing Great Western Trail, and I often want that fix. I can break it out and play it solo, and I will be satisfied. I do like it with players more, for sure, in this case. And, you know, the two, three, four, it doesn't matter to me. Probably two would be the weakest, you know, and then three or four I could kind of give or take. Just because I like having, you know, little cowboys moving around and more players to interact with and more buildings to interact with and or try to avoid and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, the, yeah, that's... The player count, pretty much all the player counts I would play. And I like the game so much it doesn't matter. Even though two players probably sort of sort of the weakest, I guess. Because, it, you know, you could just play it solo with that rule and, and you know, try that. The, the solo game cheats. <laughs> Though there are, there are strategies you can try to do to play it, but they feel a little bit artificial. But it's still a fun puzzle piece to try to beat some of the things. Like the one time I played uh, the solo mode, it, like, built every single building it had. And it's like... No player does that, you know, every building <laughs> and then upgrades, you know, some off the board. And yeah. Um, so the alternative to this is nothing. There's no alternative. Obviously I could say the original, but this to me completely surpasses the original in my notes here. I say nothing except maybe a game, the next game on the list, or a, maybe there's another one even higher. I would say, well, that would be the only real alternative. Uh, so sorry, I don't have an alternative for this one because uh, there's alternatives are going to be something that I've mentioned either l later on these lists or I've already mentioned. So I don't want to really repeat myself there. So we're going to stop at uh, 17. Number 16 is Brass Birmingham. Uh, and so, yeah, I can say as an alternative because we'll just talk about Brass Birmingham. It is. Well, let's let's back up a second. I should just say Brass now, I prefer Brass Birmingham over Brass Lancashire, but I will totally play Brass Lancashire every time. Uh, I prefer Birmingham because it has that little extra stuff with the beer deliveries and the way you kind of make some of the shipments and some of the bonuses and stuff. I just like a little bit better. And the new, uh, like the little wild cards and stuff that it has. It just has some extra stuff that I like. That I really mean Brass, period. And in a similar way, Brass, compared to Great Western Trail... They both have this like card-driven aspect to it. And I've mentioned it now, I mentioned it before, I'll mention it again. I like cards. I like anything that has cards usually. That's like a that's like an easy way to get to me, you know. That's my Achilles heel, I guess. There's some cards involved, I've usually got a little bit of an eye to it. Now Brass is a fantastic game. 
Uh, I've also enjoyed some of the other ones. The Age of Industry was a fun one. I enjoyed those. And you're driving these economies and you're, you know, you've got the cards and you're building up the industries and some of the industries support others and you're making shipments. And then, so you might build the thing that supports the shipments, even though you're not doing a lot of shipping yourselves, other people will be using your resources and your real, your buildings and piggybacking on top of you and, and grabbing your stuff there. And that's driving your economy. And I like the little elegant thing in the game where you like, you know, you put a building out, uses all the stuff, it flips over. Now you're getting more income, more points, that kind of thing. Um, that's just a cool, nice, elegant mechanic there. Uh, and it's now, no, the Brass Birmingham is the number one game on Board Game Geek. So definitely go take a look at it um, if you if you have the means to. Uh, I think it's out of print actually right now. So hopefully it comes back into print. It kind of goes in and out of print. Um, there's nothing else I can really say about the game. You know, it's collectively the number one game of all time for the time being. Um, and yeah, I really can't play enough of it. A player count wise, it doesn't matter. Two, three, four, who cares? There is no solo mode. I don't think you could do it solo. It would be weird, but I would play this anytime solo. I've played, I probably haven't played Birmingham as much as I've played the original at Lancashire because the original has been out for a while. Um, but man, we played the heck out of the original. And uh, it's just one that's just going to live forever in the collection. Now, the alternative is here as a game called Barrage. And Barrage has no cards or anything, but it has this whole sort of players kind of subsisting with each other and on top of each other where you have this weird steampunk alternative history in Europe. And you're using water to run through these different canals and stuff and power up these different machines and people can kind of build buildings kind of in the way of each other and so yeah that has that kind of thing in common with brass but no cards and it's more of like a worker placement game so you have some worker placement spaces where you can you know uh, get different types of machine parts and stuff to add to this cool little wheel thing and then you can put workers on your own board to build the buildings and then you can do get like these different special ability contracts and all these other kinds of things um, that can upgrade some of the technologies that you have that you can spend. And it has a cool timing thing with this wheel because when you build stuff, you put it on a wheel and it has to get shifted around. So those it relieves that production and all those different parts that go into the production so you can get and build those back. So you're not just building like, you know, all of these, you know, power conductors back to back to back. Once you build one, you got to wait a while. You got to build other stuff to kind of push it along or take actions to rotate it. And it's really neat. It just does a lot of really cool stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And it's, um, it's, it's a more recent game. And I think if you, for some reason, don't like cards or you can't find a copy of brass, <laughs> then I would say barrage is a pretty decent uh, alternative to it. Okay. So that's number 16. Uh, number 15 is PAX Premier Second Edition. Second Edition is very important, I think, for that. Uh, this is another game. Uh, totally love this game. It is so different. It is probably the only like PAX-style game that I actually enjoy. Uh, what it is is you are playing you know, three, four, five players. <clears throat> That's about the player count. I wouldn't try it solo or anything or two-player. I'm not sure it even plays two-player. Actually, that's weird. I don't think it plays two-player. <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried it two-player. So I've tried it solo. Didn't like it solo. But three, four, five, I'll play it in any of those player counts. It's probably better three or four. But if you have players that have played and can come at it with the right attitude, five players is really fun. This is way more cutthroat. And you got to be really, really agile uh, with five players. So what it is is there are basically like these three factions that you can sort of align yourself with as um sort of like afghan uh not i don't know not royalty but the, the like leadership right and so you're kind of jumping around between these different factions and building and constructing roads and armies and getting these special character cards and stuff like that in front of you and trying to get to a certain number of points through these like scoring cards that are going to come up through the deck and you can sort of piggyback on all, all these different players. It's very hard to explain without going through like a, like a 10 minute overview of the mechanics, but it has just a lot of these, oh gosh, it's so unlike any other game where you are just all sort of working around each other and it has all these elements of 
betrayal and backstabbing and you know like working cooperatively but not really together to sort of you know build around this different infrastructure of this of this land and then the perspective is something that i really like about the game too because hmm, a lot of times you are like the outside force coming in and manipulating the forces involved in the country or this area of countries and you're in there like you're the manipulator you're like the colonizer in this case it's from the perspective of the inside and you're dealing with those that are, that are trying to sort of colonize you in a way and then working around that and sort of flipping your alliances and stuff like that now there's a little bit of a paradoxicalness to that whole idea but that is i think a, a way more interesting perspective than like having the godlike power perspective because that's that's so tenuous um and so working within that sort of framework there's just a lot of interesting player dynamics that happen at the table that are just really no other game on this list or a game that i've really seen um quite does that there's some that get kind of close to that and get in that arena um you know and I'll, the alternative that i'll throw out here very tentatively uh does as well and there's another one later on the list which will not be in this video but it'll be it'll be in the next one i'm not going to spoil it uh, but nothing really does that sort of tension, that sort of high wire act of shifting alliances quite like Pax Premier Second Edition does. And I really appreciate it for, appreciate it for that because it just there's nothing else like that. And you got to put yourself in a position to want to kind of experience that part of it and use that as part of your strategy. Um, because it comes into a lot of just different parts of the game in terms of how you draft characters and what kind of areas and stuff you're going after in terms of the scoring and how you ally to the different alliances that are going to be sort of morphing on the board in terms of which uh, which of those factions actually has strength and that's that's just really really cool and it works so great for the game setting as well so anyway that's pax mirror second edition now my alternative is in reality it's nothing because <laughs> i after i just said all of what i said how could i have you know an alternative now maybe root so i'll throw root up here but maybe root because it has some of those ideas because root you kind of start the game off asymmetrically and then you kind of there is some interplay between the players and the the way things will sort of crash t together the different interactions of the different factions and how those will kind of play out a little bit differently over the course of different games with different mixtures of factions and stuff like that so that part of it i think you know that's the alternative there uh, where you kind of come into the game with the baked in asymmetry whereas pax mirrors is some other thing and like it's just some other different worldly thing where there is some asymmetry that you build up over time but it's 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 not like mechanical asymmetry so much Although you can get different characters with different powers, there's just something else going on there. Anyway, so that's number 15. So we're going to jump up to uh, number 14, and this is uh, Urban Sprawl. This is a somewhat, I think, unfairly maligned game uh, that came out hmm, probably 10, a little over 10 years ago. Um, I did have another game. This is designed by Chad Jensen. I had his other game, looking at my notes here. Was it last week? Number 28? Yeah, Combat Commander. So, spoiler if you missed that video. But uh, this is another game of his. Chad Jensen needed Dominant Species and some other games. Urban Sprawl is uh, hands and above. Like, there's nobody else in its class in terms of, like, a city-building game. Now, there have been other ones that I enjoy. Like, Suburbia is probably my second favorite. But to me, there's just a huge gulf in terms of the, you know, how much... You know, I would appreciate the game. Like, you could never get me to play Suburbia over Urban Sprawl unless you burned my copy in front of me. And then I'd be really mad and probably wouldn't play Suburbia with you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but Urban Sprawl is fantastic. To me, it is like SimCity, the board game. It doesn't really look or anything like SimCity. There is a SimCity board game, which is not very good. But uh, it is about building a city, and nobody has their own player board, which is what I like it doesn't make sense because you're all competing in the same city and you're competing for power in the same city and there's different offices and elections and stuff like that that you can have which will give you 
kind of like little bonuses and stuff into some of the different aspects of the game because you can build different types of buildings. You know, there's like commercial and residential and like parks and stuff like that you can build and all of that's in there. And then you are sort of pivoting like which one you're kind of most interested in. And then you have this like row of cards. There's like contracts that come in. There's another row of things that are uh, like events and stuff. And there's like events mixed into those decks, which will throw the game different ways. And so it has this through the ages sort of drafting idea where you're kind of doing that. And then you're building these contracts and getting these different scorings and doing this kind of Tetris thing on the main board. And it just works so beautifully together. Now, player count wise, it plays two, three or four. Uh, it's great. I think at all player counts, two player, I would recommend for your first play, play two player because they're going to be a little bit less like chaos of the other players that are coming in and kind of wrecking your idea of what's going on. And, uh, and it's going to play quicker and stuff. I played several two player games of this and I really love it. Two player less so with the three and four player count, but I also really like it at that player count. And I'd say, no, it's tough to, for me to pick a favorite because it's so easy to play two player. Um, I want to say that's my favorite, but I got to say when I do get a chance to play it with three or four, that to me has been the most rewarding just because there's more heads at the table. There's just that extra dynamic there of the players. Um, I, I can't recommend it enough. You can probably find it for bargain prices these days because the one complaint that people have and, you know, I don't know. Whatever. I don't think this is right, but I understand it. <laughs> I don't agree, but I understand. Um, is there like the event, event cards that are shuffled into the decks, which are going to kind of shift how things are scored, that kind of thing, or throw up like random, like SimCity style events, like catastrophes or something. Uh, you know, crime wave, that kind of thing will happen in the city. And they're shuffled in the deck, and they can kind of come out back to back to back to back. That can happen. Now, when it does happen, that means you're probably not going to see any for a while. There's going to be periods of time where it's quiet. Um, but you have to be, I can see going in and be like, oh, this happened. Oh, event. So I thought we were going to start the next round. Oh, there's another event. There's another event. There's another event. Now, I could see that bugging people. But, like, I like SimCity. I like that there's tornadoes. You know what I mean? In SimCity or what, or whatever. You know, that was, like, the p fun part of SimCity is not building up my little engine of, like, townhomes and parks and schools and then watching them run and then like <laughs> like you throw some catastrophes at me and some nightmare scenarios because that's how you manage like that's what like that is what government is about right like really you know if we if you could just set things up and run them on a computer so everybody got like the same money every week <laughs> you know what i mean and like here's your food this week here's your money this week here's your sunshine this week here's this this week Okay, I mean, that'd be great if life was like that. And, but, you know, with this city thing, it's like, no, stuff happens. Like, stuff goes wrong and you have to adjust and like all these things. And that's what this game has where like none of these other city building games have that. They're just like, build this little puzzle and that's cool. Like some of them are good. Um, but I, I just love that. And that's what I've missed about all these city planning games. Anyway, enough about Urban Sprawl. Um, and so the alternative would be nothing. Really, after what I just said, what would be the alternative? Suburbia, no. You know, that's probably my second favorite, like I said. I would say, though, to be fair, I think a good alternative actually is Through the Ages. Um, it has, like I mentioned, a Through the Ages style drafting sort of conveyor belt of cards in Urban Sprawl. And I like that part in Through the Ages. I like that part in Urban Sprawl. And Three Ages has this way more relatively complex kind of Civ game sort of tacked onto that. And you're using those cards to build up these different technologies and get these different leaders and you get the whole war system in there. Um, and that kind of thing. So it's a little bit, uh, Through the Ages is a little bit drier. Through the Ages could probably use, don't hate me, some more random events, you know, to uh, maybe you need a great flood you know, at the end of era one or something, or at the beginning of era one, I guess that would be more timeline appropriate uh, or something, you know, or like uh, something to kind of throw like a black plague or something, <laughs> throw everything off, you know, and you know, that kind of stuff, pandemics and um, meteors hitting, I don't know, 
at the civilization level, but it has that. So if you don't like all the chaos of urban sprawl and you still want sort of a, like a realistic game and a sort of, you know, historical sort of timeline thing through the ages is there. And it's a, uh, it's got a sieve trappings, but, uh, that would be my only kind of tenuous alternative there. All right. So that's number 14. Number 13 um, is uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, the miniatures game. Now, when I did this last time, five years ago, it was my number one game. I don't know that it dropping to 13 is fair in my part, but just there's others on here. I'm just like, eh, I can't put it above that. I can't put it above that. I still really high. Obviously, it's my number 13 game. And I will say, so the thing that I'll talk about the negative first that dropped it because this should be a positive you know, this top 50 games, I shouldn't just be bashing on things. The negative for me was in third edition, which just come out a couple years ago, is the competitive play. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a problem with the game and the design of the competitive play. It's more like me going, no, that's not for me. So one thing that they've done is they've have these um, battle packs and like seasons of the game that sort of favor different styles of armies and i think that's good in some ways because it kind of changes up what armies you see when you go and play at a tournament the problem is is you usually go to the tournament and see the same type of army game after game after game which is not why i'm into playing age of sigmar so when they opened up third edition it was basically monsters or giants (laughs) were the meta and so going and fighting an army of like three giants again <laughs> is not fun. Like that's not why I play Age of Sigmar. I do not play it to play it like a Magic the Gathering player. Not all Magic players, but not like I expect a lot of Magic the Gathering players play that game. I don't go in it to like meta strategy deck build tournament. Ugh. I don't that's not why I do Age of Sigmar. Now, the thing that I've really liked about it, and I think has been really improved in the third edition, is the whole narrative play thing. These same battle packs will have these different quest arcs and, you know, settings and realms that the things take place in. And all of the different, uh, you know, codices and, and books for the different armies have these different little cool special abilities. So they've really invested a lot in the narrative uh, play of third edition, and that's what I really like. And I like a lot of the other mechanics of third edition. They've added all these other different things. Um, I'm not going to get into that here because it would take an hour. I like all that stuff. Now, they haven't come out with quite as much narrative as it seems is kind of promised in was in the, edition, the, uh, the initial release of third edition. There's been a lot, but there hasn't really been enough to me like uh, stories that they've set up. Uh, what's the name of the, oh, the Firestorm box, for example, was that, was that? It might have been late first edition, early second edition. This, this Firestorm box was like this campaign box. That was amazing. That thing is friggin' amazing. Um, and so a bunch of other stuff like that. And they've got these like narrative books and stuff that it came out. Uh, most of the stuff came out during second edition. And I think if they had kind of been, been more invested in that and you know, COVID and stuff kind of bumped their productivity and stuff. So we're still kind of recovering in some ways. Um, but if they kind of really kind of invested in some of those st- better story arcs and that, that kind of stuff, that's what gets me excited about it. And we'll see some games, not on today's video, but in the next video that you're going to kind of see why, okay, I can see where's, where, where his heart is at. Um, but I really enjoy the game. I really enjoy the hobby side of the game. You can see, yeah, you can see it. <laughs> that's all Age of Sigmar stuff over there. I really enjoy that. That to me is part of the game. I like I like most of the novels and stuff that I've read in the universe. I know I'm a big nerd, but a lot of this other stuff I like about it. So to me, that's all part of it, not just the game. So that that keeps it all bubbled up really high. And like I said, I like the path to glory narrative stuff and all of that things. Um, uh, yeah, I just and there's a, there's a lot of smartness in the design of the core game. There's a lot of weird stuff they do, which again, kind of shoved it down from my number one game with some of the design, especially with like the ultra competitive play. You know, uh, I feel like I'm harping on the negative here, but like one thing is like you get a, a army book for let's say the Stormcast or whoever, and you've got like 40 artifacts in there and then like three of them are good and the rest of them are dumb and why would you ever take them? And that kind of stuff. And like that kind of stuff grates on you. And then 
some of this other meta shifting stuff. But when you play it narrative and you have these narrative artifacts that you take because of the story and all this stuff, and you're not too hung up on it, and you have these other different um, command abilities and um, the general strategies and all these different kind of things that you can take and be part of the narrative and the whole like tactical side of the game in terms of like the turn order priority and all that stuff that stuff this all kind of gels together for me when you're playing in that kind of narrative sense and i just that's just to me uh, the epitome and they've just built up this whole just crazy shroomed out world <laughs> of fantasy stuff that it just is super engaging to me and and i really like all of that stuff um, but yeah, I've talked about this game probably too much on this channel, but that's my number 13. The alternative here is kind of a cop-out, because I'm not going to say 40k, because I, I don't like 40k at all. Um, uh, you know, the game, the like ninth edition or whatever, I don't like it. Um, so I won't recommend it. <laughs> but the alternative actually would be Warhammer Age of Sigmar Soulbound, which is the RPG that they just come out with probably about two years ago. And that's been a lot of fun. That has probably been the most fun role-playing that I have done in my life. And part of it is because I have sort of a bias and an affinity for the universe and the world. But you know, I played D&D, uh, I played 5th edition 3.5, I played um, some other like little indie stuff, I played the Warhammer uh, Old World 4th uh, edition game, I played one game of that. And uh, you know, some, I played a little bit, not a lot. Um, but to me, I really like what they, how they've approached it and stuff like that. So if you're probably not into like a big army game like this, but the crazy funky Age of Sigmar universe looks kind of interesting and you want to pick up some models or something to paint because you like their models and you wanted to get something that, you know, that was thematic to it. I really would recommend the Soulbound um, RPG. I, I almost thought about putting that on an entry on this list somewhere, kind of looking at it separately and trying to rank it somewhere. But I'm not much of an RPG person, as you can see, so I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really feel good about ranking it somewhere. And to me, it kind of goes, it's part of the Warhammer Age of Sigmar part. You know, it kind of helps lift up the, the core game with that stuff because there's just all these other things that you can kind of do with it. And there's just a lot of cool, fun things to play with in that universe. So, yeah, a little weird alternative, but that, that's what that is. So that's number 13. Uh, number 12, this is another new one. Another one I reviewed a month or two ago. Uh, this is League of Dungeoneers. Uh, this just came out. I mean, I don't even know at the time of this video if it'll be widely dispersed to all of its backers. I think not. I think it's still, like, in process. I know I've seen pictures of the giant boxes and warehouses. And I know it's coming, and I know I've talked to some other content creators and stuff that have had theirs and played theirs and enjoyed it. Um, but to me, this one I could see move up even higher, just like Great Western Trail Argentina. I can see League, League of Dungeoneers get up there higher. Um, I have just been blown away by this game. Uh, it basically was made by one person, and the art was not done by him, but you know he hired three three or four artists and then but he's written all the rules and worked on all the production and you know kind of acted as the publisher right and all this stuff and this is a uh, i should shouldn't barely lead this is like a big dungeon crawl like very old school style dungeon crawl i just did a review of it and it just has like it's almost like he made a list and he said what are all the things joel wants in dungeon crawl <laughs> <laughs> and then he peeked into my head and said, okay, these are all the things he wants. And so I'm going to make a game with that. <laughs> so that's what he did. And it's very procedurally generated, very open-ended, and very much like, you know, just throw you into the mix. See if you survive. You know, run on an adventure. You could die at any moment. Um, but it still somehow stays fair and stays interesting. And there's a lot of cool, good tactical mechanics and choices. All these kinds of things. It just does all of these great things. Um, and now, so far, far as player count goes, and I've only played this solo, uh, I've talked to my group about it and we are currently playing through another game, which I'm going to mention in a minute. Um, so once we get done with that, I think unless things change, you know, we're going to play a campaign of League of Dungeoneers. So I'm excited to try it with, with, uh, with more people, but I've only played it solo and it works really well. solo. and I honestly, I haven't, haven't played it enough and I played it some more since I did the review, um, 
I don't think I'll have a problem playing it with two, three, or four players because there's enough going on where solo is maybe even like, and to me there's not too much going on, but anyway. Um, well, I can't recommend it enough. There's going to be a second printing of this thing. So if you can get a hold of it and he does a second printing, my, by God, get it. it. It's really good. If you like old school, crunchy, lots of detail, role-playing-esque dungeon crawl, easy call, easy call, no, no question. Now, my alternative to this, there's going to be a little bit of a theme here. Uh, with this one and maybe one next week. <laughs> um, so let me, just bear with me here. So the alternative is Descent Legends of the Dark. Now, Descent Legends of the Dark is like a kind of everything I don't want in a dungeon crawl, but I still really enjoy it. Because it had such a, the neatest story that was punctuated with all the different scenarios that you can play uh, you know, through the course of the campaign and the story elements that kind of just bubbled up and emerged out of that. Now, in retrospect, having looked back after playing through the campaign, it's a little app-heavy, and there's a lot of reading and stuff like that. So that kind of damages it a little bit. I wish there was more like narration and stuff, which I'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> Um, but it's okay. Like as a solo, which I soloed most of the games, I actually played some games with my group through the campaign. We just picked up and played. As solo, it's fine because you're just kind of reading, you're taking your time, and you can go get a soda and then, like, you know, okay, let me read through this story. Tap, tap. Oh, that's interesting. Tap, tap. The really cool parts of the story all emerge out of the gameplay and the different scenarios. And I, as a whole, I really liked it. But it's like a one shot kind of thing. I mean, I could play through it again, I think. You know, given enough time, and I'm excited for the expansion coming out, so we'll see. Um, but this is not, that's not really what I want out of a dungeon crawl. I want something I can kind of just replay and just kind of see what happens and go left or go right. I don't want to be so much on rails. But if you like that, and I think they do an amazing job of that with Descent Legends of the Dark, then they totally get it. I think it is worth that for at least that first play of it. Um, and then, and then there you go. So, so this one number that was number twelve. Now this is gonna 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 go along with number eleven. Number eleven is Warhammer Quest. This is the nineteen ninety five one. Although I am cheating a bit because I want to throw a larger umbrella. I'm just gonna say Warhammer Quest because to me this covers the nineteen ninety five version, Blackstone Fortress, uh, the Silver Tower, and to a lesser degree Shadows Over Hammerhall. I've really enjoyed those others too. We played through. I played through Blackstone Fortress twice. Silver Tower twice, and but my favorite version of all of those is the 1995 one, and for a lot of the same reasons that I like League of Dungeoneers, and I wouldn't even say League of Dungeoneers is arguably a better game design than the original 95 Warhammer Quest. Now, Michael, who designed League of Dungeoneers, has the benefit of like 30 years of design and stuff to kind of draw upon, and he's probably played a ton of Warhammer Quest and picked apart the little problems with that. I do give Warhammer Quest a slight edge because uh, I did a video a couple of months ago about the sort of Warhammer Quest that I built and, um, you know, got some of the parts and printed out things and got some models secondhand and all that stuff. And the little world that I've kind of created and used some of the fan-made stuff and all that kind of thing. And it's, it's simpler than League of Dungeoneers, definitely. Uh, it's not as tactical. It's it definitely, like I said, it's not as good a design as League of Dungeoneers. That I think I don't think there's any question about that. But the the world that it's set in has a little bit of a draw for me. The absolute like brutality of it, I really like. And it's just the asymmetry of some of the different characters and stuff is actually really really cool. I mean, I think that is one of the most overlooked parts of that game and the undersold parts of that game probably because some of those extra characters that you can get are impossible unless you cheat like i did um but those are freaking awesome all those like the bretonian and the pit fighter and whatever uh the witch hunters cool i wish he was better <laughs> but the witch hunter is pretty cool and you know this all that stuff is actually really neat so like i said my kind of personal version of warhammer quest i built um just edges it out of League of Engineers, but I don't know if you ask me like in two years um, with League of Engineers, I might get some extra stuff for it or whatever, or I just might get more 
familiar with it, I can see it passing. And obviously, League of Dungeons is going up really high. Um, but like I said, I had my own sort of take on the Warhammer Quest thing. And, you know, uh, there's not much to say about that game. It's been around for almost as long as my oldest son has been alive. <laughs> anyway, that's how long it's been out. And he's old. He has a son of his own. So, <laughs> you know, Warhammer Quest could, could be a parent. <laughs> at this point, I think it had a, it is apparent it had a kid at League of Dungeoneers. Um, so the alternative to this, in 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 similar sort of parallel with the last one with Descent, is Oathsworn. Now Oathsworn is the game that we're currently playing through as a group, and then once we're done, we're going to theoretically we'll see if it happens. League of Dungeoneers, we're going to play through that. Oathsworn is magical. It is absolutely magical. We are about probably just over halfway. Um, by the time you watch this video, just over halfway through the campaign. And every single scenario and story arc in that game has just been, wow, that's really cool. This is really neat. Look at this little twist they did, all this kind of stuff. And everybody that I've talked to that is either much further than, than us or finished, I said, yeah, it just carries it out all the way through. It's very, very strong all the way through. And it's very cinematic. It has very modern mechanics. You know, we're like League of Dungeoneers and obviously Warhammer Quest 1995. Those are some old school mechanics, you know. But Oathsworn is very, very smart. You know, it's car-driven stuff. It's got this cool, like, cool-down cycle thing with the cards. Uh, each of the kind of boss fights is, is, is very different from the other. All that kind of stuff. It's very cool. The thing is, yeah, I'm halfway through it. So, I mean, I also don't want to put it on here because I'm not really finished the game. But one other thing, and this will be an alternative, I'll just spoil it because it's an alternative in my final video, uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 1. You won't see that anywhere on this list. And I don't know that Oathsworn would eventually make it onto this list or Descent, you know, because they are things that I'm going to play probably through one time, right? Pandemic Legacy Season 1, for sure. I'm never playing that again. It's been years. Now, Descent, maybe I could play through it again. I, I, I would want to, because I will kind of forgotten what happened, in a way. And Oathworn, the same. And Oathworn has a little bit of an edge because it gives you a way to play it without engaging with the full story mode you know, itself. You can kind of do like a quick story mode and just go and fight a battle. Or you can just go and pick a battle and go, okay, that's the level 10 battle. So let's level four dudes up to level 10 and play. Just like we would any skirmish game. You know, I talked about claustrophobia and Warhammer Underworlds, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It's the same idea as that. You just have this big, big, giant couple of boxes to play, you know, you know, a bunch of different matches. But you could do that. And it's interesting enough to do that. I don't know if it's interesting enough to do that. Because having the story there is like part of the deal. So these one shots, it's very hard for me to put those in this list. Because it's like they were amazing 10 out of 10 this is some of the best gaming I've ever done experiences in my life, blah, 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 blah. But I'll never play it again. You know? So it's like, should that go on this list? It feels like a waste of time to talk about it more and more and more and more the further I get away from playing the game. But I also don't want to ignore and just dismiss the fact that how great they were. So it's, it's weird. It's weird. So that's my alternative to this number 11. Okay, so that is the video for this week. Uh, thanks, everybody. Next week is the, the last one, top 10. So thanks.